JCH Booker Bingo is the one that everyone tunes in for. Let's, let's go. <laughs> Hot streak. <laughs> <laughs> Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day, scholars, and welcome back to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what the nerds are watching. I am this week's host, Dom Philp, on the mic. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. Hey, with this episode 54, we are coming to you free of charge almost every single week. Thanks for letting us have a week off last week, and no one complained as far as I can tell. Uh, But we're coming to you free of charge on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. Best way that you can support is to rate review subscribe the holy tricolon as always uh if you want to help out a little bit more add this to your social media if you found us on twitter why don't you tweet this out if you found us on instagram why don't you add this to your instagram story my instagram feed changed this week it's really really annoying i don't like it as much as i used to but i'll get over it i'm just an old man i guess yelling at a cloud uh literally a cloud if you're on TikTok, I guess you're probably under 12 and you should go to bed. You could write a letter to your mum or you could uh, act this out in plays with your family from balconies, all that sort of good stuff. Or you know what? Uh, why don't you just give us a message and tell us that you're enjoying things because, you know, this shit takes time. And we love keeping your company every week, dear listener. And we love hearing from all of you with your good feedback. Negative stuff, go tweet some other podcast. That's not for us. Okay, this is episode 54, and I am glad to be back here in the hosting chair, but I'm just about to make the hot tag to the real boss of the show, the man who's pulling the strings, the booker man, Ross the Boss Casey. How are you, Ross? Yeah, great, thanks, Tom. Fully charged back into wrestling after our fun little uh, jaunt down to Camden on, on Sunday. We both had a lovely time, I thought. Yeah. Oh, mate, progress, I feel, are uh, just putting on excellent, excellent pro wrestling shows um, for a change. You know, they've been solidly doing it for about, what, 10 years? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, since I've been going back to progress, like, live, I just like wrestling, as you do, Ross. So we, we enjoy every show we go to. Like, But I really think the progress shows, I'd put them up there against anything else out there at the moment. I really think they're high quality. Um, I don't know about you, how you're all feeling about the overall product. I know we're going to do a bit more in-depth stuff, but just in general, how are you feeling about the, the product and the show and the company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's pretty common knowledge that I'm a big fan of, of the current direction that Progress are going in. And we were lucky enough to have a quick chat with the new owners pre-show, myself and Dom. And they were absolutely lovely, more than like willing to show their appreciation for people that were paying their money to buy a ticket and come through the doors and watch the shows um, because they know obviously that with the price of living at the moment, not everyone's able to. And yeah, they're doing a great job in my opinion. And the um, appreciation is mutual because they put on a great show for us. And yeah, just being back with friends. I wasn't drinking because of the price of living, but being back with friends and being at the bar, even though I wasn't drinking, uh, I absolutely loved it. And if I had it my way, I'll be doing it every Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's funny you mention that about the price of living. And I just sort of, I think the owners, they do really understand that. Like, I don't, I don't want to go into too much detail, but like the owners have gone above and beyond, like with me personally, as far as like really looking after like club progress members and stuff like that. Like 
with tickets and things like that and making sure that like they make sure there's plenty of time to to pay for them and they they just want to take every opportunity to support people that have supported them i don't want to go into too much detail about like what happened with me uh personally this week but the progress owners genuinely looked after me um and you know gave me the opportunity to get to a wrestling show that otherwise i wouldn't have so i just think um i can't say enough nice things about the the new ownership, I, I mean, I wasn't putting the boots into the old ownership either, but I, I, I can't say enough good things at the moment. Yeah, big time. Um, we'll, yeah. we'll go into that in the roundtable with uh, Chapter 134. But before that, should we kick things off with a call-up sheet, Dom? Yep, I'm in for it. Uh, let's do it, mate. Call-up sheet. Uh, take the reins, brother. Okay, so we're starting off with Brightster, who is brilliantly named Bright underscore Ichiban. He's a black British classical liberal and stories should at least be good are his two main sentences. And then he speaks up for about three more sentences in Latin. And I'm not going to even try and, and pronounce that. And he's from I the greater we- world. From where? The greater world. The greater world. Okay. Uh, This guy, to me, he's got to be an intellectual gimmick. I don't think there's enough intellectual gimmicks. And I wonder if we could try something different. When I think of the great intellectual gimmicks, you know, the genius or your Matt Stryker when he was the teacher, uh, Damien Sandow, that type of thing, that always heals. I wonder if we could have... This guy sounds like a nice guy, sounds like... um, a good comrade uh, politically, I think, if I read that correctly. Maybe we could make him a baby face. Maybe he's out there working for the little man and using his intelligence for good to try to outsmart the nasty heels and, and get the other white meat baby faces over and a fair shake. Maybe this is our man that's going to unionise pro wrestling once and for all. <laughs> yeah, he is the intellectual Jesse Ventura. I love it. <laughs> and just uh, and it, it, like without even trying to, I've just booked his first feud. One of our <laughs> one of our very own uh, here at wrestling should be fun. Alex Hitchcock. I know for a fact he's a very intellectual guy, super smart. I think he went to one of the elite universities in the country, and he actually studied Latin, I believe, and ancient Greek history. I think those were his majors. And also, we know that he is one of the biggest Tories that we know. So you know that's going to be a perfect feud for our man from the greater world. Absolutely. Yeah. Very political start to the uh, show. Let's see how we go with the next call up. It's wrestling fan at wrestling fan, 23 male video game and pro wrestling enthusiast sending good vibes to you all from the United States. I don't want to be too harsh on this guy, but to me, this just sounds like player one, player one. (laughs) 23 male. His name is wrestling fan and he's a wrestling fan and likes video games, mate. All of us, brother. You are you are the everyman, and I love it. 2022 everyman, in the same way that the Sandman or Stone Cold Steve Austin were the everyman in the 90s. Mate, you're the next generation. Yeah, and his background is Sting in a hammock. So, you know, fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, maybe his tag team partner could be Hank Scorpio. Um, <laughs> from the, and they, they, can, they can hail from the hammock district. You know, there's this little place called Marianne's Hammocks. They're good, but no, okay, I won't do all the Simpsons bits. <laughs> last but not least I'm going to throw one to you here Dom 
It's Phil Stopford. He's a film. <laughs> he's a film and TV editor, gamer, wrestling fan, and a wrestling should be fun podcast producer. Man United fan, Star Trek fan, TTRPG, and board card game fan. I like a lot from media personality Manchester, London, and England. <laughs> I think this is probably a little bit unfair because we obviously know uh, Phil very, very well. He gives up time every week, and this week is probably going to be a lot of time to edit this podcast because we're kind of doing it in two sections. Phil is our wonderful editor, and he's the man that is making this sound good for your ears. I'm currently recording this direct from my phone in my living room with no headphones or microphone whilst I watch Liverpool versus Southampton. So, you know, you can imagine how much work Phil has to put in to make this all good. Uh, as far as a wrestling gimmick goes, uh, what could we give Phil? I think um, he, what could he be? He should just walk around like um, DJ Z with like a, with an air horn and blow it in people's ears. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like in the same way that he just edits in like um, all the best sounds and drops in our podcast, maybe. Greetings. Donuts. This should help. No, please. Ah! 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 Uh, maybe he could always just be like, someone's given a promo and Phil just sneaks up behind and, and blows, a, blows an air horn. Um, I don't think we could build a whole gimmick on that. Uh, but, you know, being a lovely sound editor who helps us out for free is not really, I don't know if that's going to put butts in seats, brother. <laughs> I like the idea of um, taking your idea and making it even more complex by having Phil have a whole soundboard. And when he's doing his promos, he can just choose which sound. So like if yeah. like, uh, so like if um if he is doing a promo with a face and they say something that he thinks is correct, then he can play that sound, which you've probably heard on the pod. And then if he doesn't like something that um has just been said, he can play the other sound that you've heard on the pod. FBI, open up! And yeah. if you say something that's a little bit uh, what's the word like like a little bit blue, then he'll play that other sound from the soundboard. <laughs> I don't really care, to be honest. The quality of my work speaks for itself. I reckon that what I can see, this is going to work really well in like um, like the PWG or like Chikara universe. It's like a bit sort of fourth wall breaking. And, well, you know, bending kayfabe, I think we used to call it. And I could see him coming out with his soundboard and like during like a Young Bucks match, just playing like a slap sound. Every time they hit a super kick, oh, um, <laughs> and then like and and uh, oh, what you know? What else could he do? Other wrestling sounds? Maybe it could be like Batman. He could be playing like Pow and Wham and shit like that when people are having like um, you know uh, a chop battles instead of Boo and Yay. It could yeah, be Pow so and Wham. Uh, I don't know if you were in the country at this point, but back in the day on Channel Five, WCW was on at like seven PM on channel five so if they did like a chair shot it would actually do the batman like pow oh <laughs> i i have heard rumors of this but i've yet to have it confirmed that it was actually true 
Well, you know, they if you watch like the WWE highlights packages, any if they ever do like any weapon, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, a weapon bump or a weapon shot, they always just like freeze it for a second and you never actually see the bump. You hear the sound, but you never actually see it. You know, like, and that's pretty much the only way that I really consume WWE at all anymore is like through those, yeah, you yeah. know, 45 minute videos uh, rather than watching three hours. But you, <laughs> you know, as someone that, you know, me, I've dipped my toe in a bit of deathmatch stuff. I like a bit of hardcore wrestling every now and then. I, I do miss the um, the actual bumps. James oh Storm. God. This is bad, Josh. This is bad. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You may as well be listening on the radio. <laughs> and lastly on Phil, we're going long on Phil. I'm coming! Phrasing boom! Come on, make a hole. Phrasing boom, you came. Phrasing boom! There's a wrestler called Crowbar, which I'm sure that you're aware of from WCW. Yeah. Who's uh, got a new character that's kind of like, he does these vignettes where he's filmed and he's like got a goblet and he like speaks long words and it's in black and white. And I was thinking... Phil likes to kind of sip on his whiskeys and he's a big whiskey drinker. So I was thinking, as he's called Crowbar, which used to be one of the bigger London metal clubs on Tottenham Court Road, uh, I was thinking that as our local metal club is Black Heart, it could just be called The Black Heart. Yeah, I like that. But then that would ruin it when he carries around the Stockford soundboard. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. His finisher move would have to be a springboard. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank Maybe you. Maybe we could. Oh, no, I was going to do more rhymes. Okay. Okay. Go, go. <laughs> Maybe instead of whiskey, he could just drink shamboard. No, God, please, no, 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 no. <laughs> yes, mate. What car do you reckon he drives? Honda Accord. Of course. Serious? Yeah, right. That's enough. <laughs> so, thank you to everyone who entered the uh, call up sheet on Twitter. We'll reach out to you when it's live, letting you know that you've had your shout out and your new wrestling character. And we hope that you've enjoyed it. Now, we're going to go across to our other correspondent, James, and we're going to skip backwards a day and talk what the nerds are watching. <laughs> So James, thanks for coming on briefly for this chat for what the nerds are watching. What have you been watching? Well, I watched Dynamite last week and Rampage. I went to progress, but as was feeling not great and uh so i'll leave that for, for you and dom to get stuck into in the round table but <laughs> a few things i had to talk about on on dynamite that were enjoyable sure yeah shoot uh i say they well, we sort of say it every week but they're really nailing this uh wardlow and mjf thing aren't they they sure are yeah and being like what the word um, adaptable enough to to work it differently in Long Island, it's just sensible. Let's go, 
Let's be honest here, Long Island. First of all, I love you crazy sons of bitches. Let me tell you something. It reminds me of, well, it is like it's the uh, sort of Brett in Canada, isn't it? Yeah. You could easily see it just doing this sort of, on my hometown, but I left this town, but he doesn't. And from him to even the way like Punk wearing sort of like the uh, the guy who left the Islanders in free agency in a cloud, of, in like a bit of a storm cloud to get the heat that way. You know, it's a different storyline, but just playing back to their storyline that they had together. Um, yeah, for those uh, all the uh, New York Islanders references would be great. <laughs> sure, um, it definitely went over my head. Um, it needed to be explained to me by you online, but yeah, like that's amazing that Punk did that. Yeah, and it's weird because it, I think I was, talking, I was talking to you saying about how Excalibur missed it, which is which is rare for him. Because I think during the match he said something like, "Oh, Punk trying to make friends with his Islanders jersey." And then a bit later, I think when MJF came out, he mentioned he did make a reference to oh, my NHL knowledge isn't that great. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. but the people in the building creating the atmosphere, they they all knew what was going on. And I think that was the most important part, even if some some people missed it. Do you reckon that's proof that like they try and make the commentary as organic as possible? Because I feel like if that was WWE, that would have been fed into the team. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, because that is one of those things that, we pointed out before, isn't it? The WWE is sort of like hitting you over the head with stuff, and the AEW commentary team will sort of, yeah, would sort of react or sort of get you see it with like the fact that Jim Ross hates half the show, <laughs> <laughs> he, he can't hide it. He, he's like some of the stuff he definitely doesn't like, and he, and he can't hide it. Whereas in the WWE, it's that sort of ultra positive. I'd say I might be generalizing, but back because I've watched um, yeah. that often recently, and I did give him specific credit for how they brought Cody back at Mania in just the, with the silence. Yeah. But it always seemed to be like Michael Cole like banging your head, it's past time! You know, and, and that sort of thing. And yeah, so that's that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it like that. But My big takeaway from the uh, Wardlow situation was it proves how over Wardlow is where MJF could have told that Long Island crowd to like throw their beer down and, you know, become a Christian and they'd have done it. Like, yeah. And Wardlow is so over that once MJF had cleared out the ring and it was just Wardlow and the security guards, they were going mad for it because people love it. Yeah, that's a, yeah, get, that's a really good point as well. Yeah, it's him and, when he's powerbombing Sterling through the, the table and yeah. punching Spears. Well, he didn't get afraid of Jeff, so they're okay. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Wardlow's fine. I know some people would argue that, like, why are you booking it in this way? But I think it's a lot more truthful isn't it I guess that like you expect that home crowd to support MTF so just let it happen rather than fighting it like when you try and fight the crowd it seems to go against you the hill turn that they tried to do with Becky was a nightmare in WWE and after a while they just gave up and were like yeah she's a face (laughs) yeah no definitely and you know how good he is at getting the heat everywhere else yeah exactly it's not like they're changing any yeah, I think it's okay to, to do that and to be proud of where you're from. You don't have to hate everyone. It's sort of wrestling, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, no, I thought it's uh, yeah done really well. And I know, I think, I can't remember, I know you said it, I can't remember if you said it on the group chat or online about the um, sort of Punk and Paige both booking themselves as heels in back-to-back weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Twitter, I mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, I saw it somewhere. What do you think about that? Do you think that it was just a one-off for Punk, like similar to MJF, which is 
the impression I got just from that crowd. Well, I guess they're just kind of showing that both of those characters are well-rounded characters that are capable of being mean-spirited and confident, bordering on, on arrogant. And I, I must admit, going into this programme, as soon as they booked it, I was like, like, it's not going to do either of them favours for me personally, where, because you're going to take fans away from one of them, right? People are going to pick a side. Yep. And that's why Face Be Face and, and Hill Be Hill, for me, always isn't my go-to. But I do think the way that, that they've gone about it is super interesting because they've given fans of both now opportunity to be like, yeah, but he did that and he did that, rather than one person be more healed than the other, which I think is really clever. I think it's really interesting booking. It's not something that I would have thought of doing. So personally, I'm enjoying it, but I'm definitely kind of like intrigued to see what they do down the line in terms of heel and face. Because obviously, like I say, it's not doing either of them any favours. If they were both booked in situations where they're both the face then obviously their popularity is going to stay as it is or go up but because they're face be face one of them's going to slightly go down in terms of popularity because they're going to have pissed off the people who are really behind either punk or page so what happens to the character once this program is finished is going to be the interesting thing that i think of yeah who do you think will get the the more face reaction kind of pay-per-view i feel like it'll be punk yeah i think it's going to be punk um, yeah, and that's going to be interesting too, Why? because obviously we've seen Punk in the past play the brilliant face and turn it on its head, and you expect him to be the one to do that out of the two of them. So maybe that's what they're expecting, and maybe that's what they're going down the route of. I'm not sure. It would be interesting to see if they hadn't had that show in Long Island, whether they would have gone this route. And I'm interested to see the next couple of weeks in the in the build up whether it. It's more Paige leaning the heel the next couple of weeks and Punk sort of being back to... Yeah, completely. Yeah, before. Not before, but um, he's got a bit of an edge. It's always like Danielson. Yeah, and obviously Punk, was... when Punk worked Kingston, he, he kind of played at heel, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's interesting that, yeah, well, I'm interested to see how it how it works out and, uh, in, yeah, enjoying the programme and looking forward to the, uh, to the pay-per-view. Sure. Like, another thing on that, I guess, is that they played Punk heel against... Kingston, but to counteract that, the next program that they put him in against was MGF to build him back up as the face, right? Yeah. So I guess that's the interesting thing coming out of Double or Nothing for me is where the characters go after it. Yeah. It says a lot for Kingston as a face. Doesn't it just? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, massively. Like, when you think about it, like, they managed to get him, like, well, almost split with CM Punk. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think that wrestling fans always seem to garner interest in the guy that's the plucky underdog and hasn't got the belt or has never had a belt yeah and then as soon as you know someone has that belt unfortunately then they tend to become quite bored and want a new shiny toy but yeah <laughs> in that case by the next yeah yeah exactly but like in the case of punk and kingston in particular the way that punk was speaking down about kingston and like his accomplishments in wrestling for the amount of time that he's been here and like how he's failed himself they very much went into that kind of fandom of people who root for the un underdog. He kind of played the opposite of what he was in the Cena feud, wasn't it? Yeah. No, you're correct. No? Yeah. What um, was on Dynamite that you like, man? Uh, well, I thought Jamie Hayter looked great. I think it was like pretty obvious that she was probably going to lose because it seems they're setting up Storm and Britt Baker over 
yeah. the hate and holding off still on the Jamie Hayter, Britt Baker thing. But I think she's constantly probably one of the best people in that women's division. I feel like if they want to get behind her, then she's definitely capable enough. I feel I felt she looks looked considerably better than Tony Storm, and like more just more confident and and just more of a well-rounded and complete wrestler. I, I, it sounds like a little bit. Uh, a bad on Tony Storm, but who I think's fine. But I think Hate is just a level above, personally. I mean, it's not quite presented that way, but I think in ability and performance, she is. Yeah. Well, she's in this faction at the moment with Rick Baker, which is elevating her because Baker's pretty much permanently at the top of the card for the women. So that's a good thing for her. And as we were just saying, actually, because she's not won a title or seemingly booked in a heavy way, people are going to relate to her like you just have, you know? Yeah. She's in a very good position at, at the moment, I think. And it's going to be interesting to see where she is in the next six months, 12 months, because I'm sure they're going down the route of Baker and her, right? Because that's been building from building and building. Yeah, like she doesn't do like the DMD and they've had a couple of times when she's coming out later and they seem to put that on the back burner a bit now, but they did sow the seeds there. Yeah. I assume it'll be to put when they want to turn Britt Baker face because she's so over yeah, that's certainly the way that I would do it. But AEW have proven that, you know, they can do things outside the box that you wouldn't think of and it still works. So who knows? But yeah, I I would certainly be up for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Storm and Britt Baker will be probably a good solid match, I think. Like, but... Yeah, I would say that in terms of Dynamite women's matches, it's it's up there with the best of the last few months, I would argue. I mean, I have now, I forgot that Britt Baker still got to beat the Joker first, but Pete hasn't told me that is yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the men's side, I, I liked uh, Adam Cole and Dax Howard. It was, it was a good match. And there was some crazy stuff in the Jeff Hardy Darby Allen match. Sure it was, yeah. Yeah, that's um, In terms of the bookends of the show, you had two very different matches in the Owen Hart Cup there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I say I wasn't a massive fan of the booking. Yeah, I, I I get the Adam Cole over Dax as much. Like I was enjoying the Dax Bret Hart tribute story, but you know that makes sense. I think due to the you know, Adam Cole is a single star as much as he's not my guy. And yeah, I think that, it makes sense, doesn't it? If a singles Dax beats Adam Cole, then that puts him pretty much on a singles trajectory, right? <laughs> yeah, it would have to be in a sort of roll up or something, wouldn't it? To, so yeah, I'm, I'm, he was never going to get him to tap out to his sharpshooter. It was interesting they went the other way. Good sort of selling of the uh, of the ribs throughout the match. You know what I loved about that is that um, he's protecting the the uh, sharpshooter so much there, in terms yeah. of he couldn't like cinch it in properly because of the ribs. But then when Cole cinched it in, it's such a devastating move that he tapped out to it. Like, he couldn't do more to put that move over. It's classic Dax, isn't it? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's great. I wouldn't... I don't, I, swear, I don't... I'm not that interested in seeing Jeff Hardy. And I feel like Darby Allen's more of a AEW thing. And I would have much preferred him to go over. But... Yeah, I think, um, I think if it was like a one-on-one exhibition match on Dynamite, they probably would have put him over. But obviously... This ties into the undisputed elite and Hardy's storyline, right? Which isn't something I'm particularly interested in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get that, that just means I'm gonna have to see more Matt Hardy as well. <laughs> I certainly get it. It's just you know, I appreciate the fact that they're booking a tournament in a storyline way. I don't mind that. 
yeah, no, that's fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And you, yeah, you figure it sets up a Hardy's Young Bucks match, which I'm not sure I'm not interested in. Yeah, <laughs> It'll be good because the Young Bucks are in it, but Matt Hardy also be in it. It's definitely a bit of a dream match, but obviously it's already happened in Ring of Honor, but I don't know how many it's, people... Yeah, it's been done. Like, yeah, that's the thing. It's not like a new... Yeah, it's something that, you know, progress and stuff have been blamed for in the past of taking something from someone else's promotion and putting it on theirs to a bigger crowd. And, you know, at the end of the day, AEW are probably doing that here with, with Ring of Honor, but it makes sense, right? Because by and large, most people haven't seen that Ring of Honor match. Yeah, it does, it does, that's the thing. It does make sense. And, it, and it's a definitely a money match. So I shouldn't be too... I just don't... It just, I just don't understand why people want to see... At least <laughs> in 2022, personally. But... Um, <laughs> Wonderful! I mean, yeah. that's maybe just a me thing, apparently. But, like, the end, when, like, Derby hit the coffin drop after Jeff Hardy just done a swanton bomb onto the steps and then he then got hit with a coffin drop and then rolled him up, kicked yeah, out after, like, one. Like, cop man... This is the thing with kind of plunder matches, isn't it? That sometimes you'll see a move that really that's sh- like that can't be topped and that probably should finish it. And that's not just the case for this match. This goes across for many, many matches. I know um, we were at the ballroom for that um, Smoking Aces Sunshine Machine and that like leapfrog Canadian that. Oh, yeah. Like that, like that should have ended any match, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. That's what people love. And we loved it live. Like, we're talking yeah. about it. So, you know, I understand why it happens. But I do take your point that sometimes, you know, if your finish is a roll-up, maybe, you know, have less crazy moves in, <laughs> in the match. Well, I was just I was just reminding myself of, um, like, just checking. I didn't want to miss anything. So I was just reading a quick recap. And uh, so they were saying that the um, match was quite crammed in. So they reckon they might have just done the finish. Maybe, yeah. Because they said that the ref was talking to them about two minutes before the end. Yeah, that's true. Probably, probably with timing. So they might have had to rush the finish a bit and didn't get time to sort of sell the big moves beforehand enough, which makes sense. Knowing how niche AEW are with, with their booking and how well thought out they are, just talking about the two finishes being a sharpshooter and a roll-up, those are both moves that Owen Hart has used to win matches. Maybe they're like going down a route of that kind of thing where every finish is going to be a Owen Hart finish. Oh, it's interesting. Just going to get a, what else did I own? The pile driver? Pile driver, yeah. Um, the old blue blazer high cross body. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't see a lot. I didn't, so it was, it was, it was, Owen wasn't really in my time. So I, I obviously heard a lot about him. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see, uh, so outside of his running 99 before the unfortunate death, the, the full three months before that was when the only time I really saw him. Yeah. yeah. And obviously they. With Jarrett. Yeah. The famous like uh, pin reversal in the corner from WrestleMania 10. I'm sure someone. Will... Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've gone back and watched that one. Yeah, someone will probably pull that out in the semi-final or something. <laughs> one to keep an eye out for. Yeah, definitely. Seven finishes. So the other things from AWR. I say on uh, Rampage. I just, I loved. The ridiculousness of the gun club and the acclaimed. I haven't seen Rampage, so um, I know that obviously you are like brilliantly marking out for like the hills in terms of the gun club because they genuinely piss you off. <laughs> is that still the case? Oh uh, well, yeah, they're little annoying little tits, aren't they? And then obviously, like, Billy Gunn is one of my all-time faves. I'm a 
<laughs> and he's just massive compared to everyone else, which is funny. Phrasing! Yeah. But they do this little backstage segment, and then it's so bad, it's good. Yeah, yeah. In that sort of Billy Gunn's like, all right, guys, we're now a faction or a stable. I, can't remember, I don't know something about stables. We need some hand signals. And then the, the gun boy's like, dad, dad. And like, yeah. He's like, well, we were talking. And they sort of they, they go to do like the suck it and he stops them before they finish. <laughs> and then the, and the acclaimed do like their scissor. And he's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And they go, right, we need a catchphrase. And then they go to the gun club. Was, dad, dad, we got two white. He's like, no. <laughs> oh, and then like, the acclaimed boys are like, Hey, listen, yo, listen, over their fingers, and Billy Gunn's like, yeah, yeah, great idea, yeah. Love that. <laughs> Just like, it was, uh, it's ridiculous, but I, I really enjoyed it with their, their stupidness. That's great. AEW sometimes get pelters online for being too serious and not being able to capture a casual fan, but they can definitely do that stuff. Like, obviously, it's not something that they pride themselves on, but, but like, when they do do it, it seems to actually land. So you said you haven't seen Rampage yet? No, not yet. No, no. The main event. I'm so confused. <laughs> oh, was this oh, Rio? Was it Rio? No, Rio and Ruby Soho had a, just, had a good match. That was not a good, yeah. solid match. In the uh, But the main event was Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian. Oh, yes, yes. I remember you saying that you were a bit confused about how that match came around. No, no, no. no, no. I knew how it came about because of like he stepped aside. I, the, the bit I was saying was... I didn't realise that the rankings were the were for both titles because Kazarian just rocked up at number two for winning on elevation now. And then so before in the Mark Henry part, he goes, uh, Scorpio Sky like told Ethan and Dan to sod off, whatever. Yeah. For the day. So he could like honour his word and wrestle Kazarian. Yeah. And at the end, like Ethan Page came out and hit him with the title and then him and Scorpio Sky faced off and then Scorpio clocked Kazarian with the title again. That was all fine, like good swerve. You know, Scorpio Sky looked like he wanted to be mates with, with well, like respect, restore the honour to the title, but then he just cheated anyway. And then because it was like, oh, he didn't see it, but at the end, he's like, oh, he, you know, he just hits him with the title. So he was, it was all a plan that came together. Oh, wow. Which was- That's another thing that AEW do really well, where like they were definitely selling us down the river of, you know, it's going to be Paige turning on Scorpio Sky and Scorpio Sky's like a great guy. Yeah. So that's so pretty- that was brilliant. Isn't it? Then the confusion bit for me at the end, because like Sammy and Ty Conley are watching. Right. And they come out, or they come out of the crowd, which is, and I'm like, oh, aren't they heels as well? Yeah, they're... Um, they're I, and I was just like, I, I got so confused with what's going on with these this lot. Yeah. I, mean, I say the Kazarian Scorpio Sky stuff was was really well done, and like I thought it was good fake out. But then like, what are they, these two are back in, and they face again. I just get confused with it. Yeah, it does seem to be like, the TNT title is the kind of confused title a little bit at the moment. Since Darby Allen lost it, nobody quite knows who's heel or face. <laughs> you know who, what, well, I'll say, the person who should be hopefully soon taking the TNT title is my boy, Hook. Oh, mate. Tell everyone how much you've ever spent on Hook merch. I think I bought everything he had on Pro Wrestling Tees the other night. <laughs> Luckily, it was only two or three things. But uh, <laughs> uh, he's so made me safe. enjoy Dan Howard. Yeah. <laughs> so it's safe to say that you're all in on Hook. Where do you see him going in the next few months, Hook? No, I think they're going to be slow with him because whatever he's doing, they really enjoy. I, I don't. I haven't seen him have like a long match, so I don't know if he's at that stage yet. I, I don't, I'm not saying he isn't, but 
just the yeah. way they they bring them along slowly and sort of add into this sort of mysterious character <laughs> for Danhausen stuff is it, it works to be fair. And I wasn't enjoying I didn't really enjoy Danhausen. I wasn't quite sure what he was, but um, his uh, stuff with uh, with Hook's been yeah been very been entertaining and Hook sort of regret you know those sort of what they call them, odd odd bedfellow tag teams yeah yeah yeah. Like some of them work, some of them don't, and these ones seem to be uh, working quite well. I think. Yeah, for sure. So is now Hook not part of Team Taz? I don't. Well, he, has, he hasn't been hanging around with them for a long time, has he? Really? No, he's just been no. sort of coming out on his own, and Taz is still supporting him, even though I don't know if he comes out of the babyface tunnel or the heel tunnel. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember. I haven't noticed that. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, Taz but... is always still very pro him on on commentary. But it's getting. Um... Yeah, no. Casual attraction. Did you see the uh, tweet by B and M? Yeah, I saw, no, yeah, I think I saw you put it retweeted, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Crazy. I was like, what? How? When? <laughs> is that the biscuit? No, B and M is like a, um, it's like a bargain store. It's like a chain of, uh, right? And yeah, they did like meme of something about like it being really cheap and bargainous, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> That's, yeah, and they well, changed, I thought it was like BNM, and they changed the handle to like BNM housing, <laughs> which is mental. Yeah, it's like um, it's like an old school like macro. Yeah, is it American? I don't know actually, but yeah, we've got them like in and around the UK. Because yeah, I saw that thing that you tweeted, and I thought it was BNBN, the biscuit. <laughs> BNBN. <laughs> 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 And uh, I say I'm obviously from my days as being a big 205 Live fan, big fan of Tony Nice as well. So yes. I, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing them work together. And he's been, he was really good in his pissed off. I was like, when he didn't get the entrance and Danhausen did, I was like, oh. And then they built that, and that was part of the story afterwards. He's like, yeah, that's get an entrance, Tony. That is the thing that AEW do the best, I think. Like they pick up on like little nuances that fans recognize that are like parts of wrestling culture and like mention it and play on it and twist it and make you think that it's going one way and then it goes the other like that that is something that i really like about AEW. yeah it's enjoyable did you see anything else or was that your viewing pleasure for this week well there, there was i say there was a pretty cool death triangle together so you get to see pack and phoenix in the ring at the same time that was good i mean it goes about the same really isn't it so probably don't need to go on about that anymore what what, what, what have you seen the stuff that you've not talked about, the only thing that I properly watched was uh, NXT this week. Down south slanging, rolling with you hustlers, trying to get rid of all you haters and you bust. Down south slanging. And my big takeaway from it was, again, talking about uh, Shades of Grey and wrestling. So they've uh, booked Cameron Grimes to be the face champion of the North American title after almost years of trying to get him over as a face. Um, with the million dollar belt thing with Ted WRC and cryptocurrency and all that sort of stuff. And he's super over, right? I would consider Cameron Grimes one of the more over people in the NXT. And they booked him post their takeover show at WrestleMania weekend against Solo Sikoa, the third Uso. Yeah. And he is arguably more over than Cameron Grimes as a face with that NXT 2.0 crowd. And all it's done is make people want Solo Sokoa to beat Cameron Grimes. And I'm tearing my hair out watching it. Like, it's great that people are so behind Solo Sokoa and I I love it. 
but it's doing nothing for Cameron Grimes, this. And he keeps on winning in, like, the, like they're, they're protecting Solo Sokoa so much. The, like, victories that Cameron Grimes is getting over him are, like, kind of Travis Banks-era progress champion, where, like, he yeah. seems like he's going to lose and then he pulls it out of the bag. And it's just, like, following that trend of, like, oh, this is not how you book a babyface. So annoying. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. But, yeah, by and large, uh... NXT 2.0 is not for everyone. But I remember when Matt first watched the episode, the very first episode of NXT 2.0 and he, and he kind of came to the conclusion it's not for him. But his big takeaway was like, this show is for Ross Casey. And he was absolutely right. <laughs> it's so full. <laughs> it's so full of big characters, gimmicks that are just over the top. The wrestling is almost secondary. There's so many like vignettes and backstage segments and car park kidnappings and just silliness that I absolutely love it. And it's two hours that flies by. And they're putting so much into women's wrestling as well at the moment. Like, I think I put in the group, there's something like 24 women featured in that show, in a two-hour show. Yeah. Uh, When you compare that to how many people are featured on Dynamite, which tends to be at, like, seven or eight, maybe. Yeah, no, definitely. Is anyone standing out there? Do you think can go? Um, From the women... Nikki Lyons looks like the most likely to break out at the moment. And I can imagine she's probably going to win the breakout tournament that they've got going on at the moment. I don't know if you've seen her yet. I think I have. I'm not sure I've seen her in a match. Right. Okay. Yeah. Picture there. Yeah. She's super over. And this main event of the last episode was excellent. Um, I know that I said the wrestling is almost secondary on NXT 2.0, but when they do give people time, they always put it out of the bag, seemingly. Similar to NXT UK, where like most of the matches are five minutes long or whatever. And then the main event's given a bit of time. Cora Jade faced Natalia after a really good build, actually, um, over the about four or five weeks. And yeah, the match was fantastic. Natalia was able to be the kind of... Um, so like she's always been seen as kind of the like the mother hen of the locker room, really, right? Because she's been there so long and like she seems to be the person that yeah. introduces the crew to like the new wrestler and that like almost like is always that kind of person and in this storyline she was like trying to tell Cora Jade that she's not ready she like she's not ready I don't respect her yet because you've not shown me enough and then in the match she had a, like a really good back and forth match it went for like 12 minutes and it finished with Cora Jade passing out from the sharpshooter and Natty asked the ref did she tap out and then when the referee says no and she comes to Natty like shakes her hand yeah which, which is quite a cool premise I thought kind of got Cora Jade over without winning, which doesn't need to happen. Um, I know sometimes NXT 2.0 wrestlers just win over the more established wrestlers as like a way of proving themselves, but it doesn't always have to be that way. Like like quite well thought out storylines like that. I'm all for it. So yeah, well done to Cora Jade and to Matty. Definitely. I've been hearing some things about this uh, Andre Chase character. Andre Chase, yes. Do you know what he was previously? No. So I don't know if you'll know this or not because you stopped watching Ring of Honor at a certain time, didn't you? But have you heard of the Bravado brothers? I don't think so. So they were in it like 2010 to 2013 or something. Okay. They were kind of um, Young Bucks light, I guess. Right. In uh, Ring of Honor. I think his name was Harlem Bravado in Ring of Honor. But he's now Andre Chase in... NXT where he's got a university and he's a, like a lecturer and it's absolutely brilliant. They've got like a marching band. 
They've got like matching jumpers. He wrestles in a jumper and chinos. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, I've seen people. Have, yeah, I've seen some people being entertained by him. I was there. Uh... Yeah, so he'll win matches or lose matches, and then the following week he'll be doing his lecture and say like, "Here's our teachable moment," and then how like they can like learn from what happened last week. It's pretty great. I might have to check out some of his work. Yeah, I would probably say like you're not going to be overly, you know, enthralled with his in-ring work because it's, it is what it is. But the vignette stuff is great. Yeah, I like I like a vignette. <laughs> well, you'll bloody love Andre Chase. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, that was what the nerds were watching. Uh, thanks for hopping on. Hey, what great insight there, Ross and James. Absolutely loved it. Didn't miss a step there. And uh, thanks very much for your time, James, on this week's pod. You're back here now, dear listener. Uh, we're Don Van Dam and Ross the Boss Casey here in the current time, which actually, for you as you're listening to this, is still the past, uh, which is kind <laughs> of interesting, right? Uh, that's like some like uh, fucking Inception looper shit. We're in the upside down. Yeah, we, we, we are, which is just what most people call where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we doing? Ross, we got main event time? Going straight to the main event. Yeah, straight to um, Camden for chapter 134, No Matter High Enough. I'll tell you what, I should get someone else to do what the nerds are watching every week. This is, this is like a quick, tight podcast. I'm going to be out of here in time for dinner. <laughs> this is brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening. This week's roundtable includes our rundown of progress rep, res, not progress repling, progress rep, fucking hell, I fucked that all up. <laughs> you know, hey Ross, did I ever tell you one, I saw Kanye West one time and you know, I love Kanye. Yeah. And like, I, I don't really, I, like, I don't really remember any of the set, but I, um, the main thing that I remember is like, he was like 45 minutes late starting. It was the beautiful dark twisted fantasy tour. And then he like, he because he was so late and stuff, he just like started like riffing and doing whatever he wanted. Like he was just telling his DJ what to play. And he's like, oh fuck this, I'll do uh, let's do some old shit. So he like um he decided to do um through the wire and he got to like the second verse and he just completely messed it up. And he like just made the DJ stop and he's like, nah, nah, stop you, stop you. I fucked all that up. And he like he started laughing, he was like giggling like a kid, and he was like, Oh, sorry, y'all, I fucked that up. Uh let's go again, run it again. And like, it was like one of those things where I'm like, oh, this guy's actually like a real guy who like can actually just have fun and laugh and smile. Like, it's not always this fucking character that seemingly is so serious and has to hate the world all the time, you know? And I like, even though like he would probably say it's his worst gig ever, I think it might be like the best one to ever go to because I got to see something that nobody else got to see on that tour. Yeah. Right. That's really yeah. cool. So anyway, that's my long way of saying keep that fuck up in the intro, Phil. Let's try again. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening. This week's roundtable will run down Progress Wrestling Chapter 134, Ain't No Mountain. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Wrestling Should Be Fun Roundtable. Nailed it. First time, every time. First time, every time. Just like Kanye. Twist. Have you ever, ever felt like this? 
Yeah, just like like my boy, yay. One, one in the football, if anyone's interested. Um, So, Ross, I think the best way for us to do this, even though I'm kind of in the host chair, is as you were sober and I was drinking, what about if you kind of walk us a little bit through uh, how you remember the show going as far as order goes and I'll chime in here and there. Obviously, like, we here on Wrestling Should Be Fine, it's something different. It's not just about wrestling reviews and stuff like that. We like to talk about our days a little bit. So on Sunday, I was actually coming off a, a bit of an illness. So I was really, really sick on uh, from sort of Friday night through to Sunday morning, but managed to drag myself out. Uh, I thought I'd uh, come down to Camden and not have too much to drink. But then I was like, oh, I'll tell you what I'll do as well. To save some money, I'll take two cans of Guinness and have those sort of on the journey to Camden. But then, of course, you know, anyone that knows me knows once I have two cans, there's no stopping me. So I ended up just getting absolutely fucked. Yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> so we got to Camden, went to the Good Mixer. We were already there with... Uh, Ross was there, Pete Hitchcock was there, Matt Brummett was there, and we had a Wrestling Should Be Fun debutant as well. A friend of uh, Matt Brummett named Johnny Ross, wasn't it? I thought it was James, but I might be wrong. Nah, James is our mate. You know, you've done about 100 episodes with him here. He's the guy that wears the hat. He's into bounce. Oh, hat guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hat guy. Wrestling Should Be Fun hat guy. Brilliant. No, maybe it was Johnny. Yeah, actually, it was Johnny, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Johnny. And now I've just got this image. I, if we ever get the chance, I would really love to pay a wrestler to rip James's hat off his head and elbow drop it in the ring. <laughs> if, we, if we could ever arrange that. If you're listening, uh, Teeks or Mambo, that's going to be a hell of a spot. And we can guarantee that unlike other wrestling fans, James won't try and headbutt you afterwards. Oh, mate, what an absolute spanner that bloke was yeah what a specimen oh man i just off how many times a week do i just think to myself i don't understand the human race and like the anger that some people hold but like mate you have paid to be there and like you clearly want to have interactions with the wrestlers why are you getting worked up yeah even after the headbutt like he was claiming like he was still going for him like absolutely crazy yeah speaking of which at the progress show some people got uh, sprayed with water by Sky Smithson. Has there been any internet fallout? I've not seen any. I've not seen any. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I like to hear. That, you know, be careful if, you, if you're in the front two rows, you will get wet. It's like Universal Studios. So, yeah, I went to the, uh, where did we go? The Good Mixer. Had a few, probably only time for one pint there. Went into the first half of the show. As we already said, we were having a good chat to Progress owners, uh, particularly Lee. And the show kicked off with Ross. Who who came on first? It was old uh, Universal Studios. It was Sky Smithson and Alexis Falcon. Oh, it was. um, It was. Which was a tables match, which was built off two previous chapters at the anniversary show um, where the... Fatal four-way for the number one contenders match kicked off that show. After the match, Guy Smithson attacked Alexis Falcon. They were then booked on a show at the Dome. And uh, that match went to a no contest. And there was an attempted table bump. Where, but because it's Brit Rest, obviously the table didn't break. And because of that, it was then bumped into a 
tables match on this card. So we had a grudge match to kick off the card, and I really enjoyed it. I thought Sky Smithson in particular, she gets it right. She gets being a heel. I absolutely love her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Smithson, I used to see Smithson a little bit in Eve back in the day, but I think since she's been work in progress now, she's another one that who, you know, over the pandemic, like having seen um, them before that and having seen them after that, I just think that uh, Sky Smithson has really, really improved by leaps and bounds in the same way that we've spoken about a lot of the progress roster, um, just how much they have improved. So, uh, yeah, that, that's definitely a takeaway from me. I'd say uh, I don't sort of have too many takeaways from the match itself other than, you know, uh, and I hope that the listeners sort of understand that we're probably just going to put over every wrestler on the show. But I think Alexis Falcon to me is just about, well, it's either her or her counterpart, um, Lana Austin, who are probably the, dare I say, to use a metaphor, the hottest female act in the company. And I mean that with momentum. At the moment, I think. What do, what do you think? Alexis Falcon, she's got to have a run at the Progress Women's Championship at some stage. Yeah, definitely at some stage. You know my thoughts on clear heels and faces. So if Kanji does win this title, I'm hoping that they're going to stick her on the substitute shelf a little bit in terms of the title and maybe put her in a, in a different feud after Sky Smithson. But yeah, she's more than worthy. And I love the fact that they've seemed to have seen however Britt Baker's got by being kind of like the hardcore darling of AEW. And we've now seen Alexis Falcon in a Extreme Rules match at the Dome where she was going off the top turnbuckle through a table and thumbtacks and winning that match and then going toe-to-toe with Sky Smith and here in a tables match and coming out on top. And yeah, they definitely seem to have taken a bit of um, Britt Baker uh, stardust and dusted it over um, Alexis Falcon and trying to make a, a face version where... You, you just respect the fact that she's putting her body on the line for our entertainment and also for glory. <laughs> 100%. And obviously hones uh, her craft up there in TNT and Liverpool. A couple of observations about the match. There were how many tables at ringside, Ross? 316? There, <laughs> there were a lot of tables carried in by the ring crew and then all bar one were carried back out, up those stairs and out the side entrance into the alleyway. Um, I'm not sure which school they were being returned to, but, yeah, they were – and they were, they were proper exam desks. I even noticed that one of them had, like, a graffiti tag that looked like <laughs> it came out of my, my year nine period six lesson today. Yeah, I'm not sure how they were going to ever use a table for one as a table spot in wrestling. <laughs> I was intrigued and I was a little bit let down that, that we didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that I noticed about the match is maybe, you know, I think I've made this public on the pod before. Probably my least favorite thing that wrestling fans could ever do is the chant, we want tables. I, I have a bit of a problem with it because I just don't like when wrestling fans try to take over the booking of a match, but, you know, live. But this was probably the one time ever that I will allow it, the We Want Tables chant. Uh, it was kind of, you know, just just comfortably ironic enough for my taste in the ballroom on Sunday. Yeah. And my last little note on this is um, Night is Mike joined us during this match. Of course. Always great to see DJ press play uh, 90s Mike he is an excellent DJ I don't know why I've said that that's just not true what a, what an excellent musician um, but we love you Mike he's also the one person that listens to this every week yeah <laughs> <laughs>
Next up, we had a Super Strong Style qualifier where we saw Ricky Knight Jr. against Leon Slater in what was an absolute banger, wasn't it? Yeah, not not my like not my favourite match of the night. We'll talk a bit more about that later on. But geez, it was bloody close, and I would probably say it was the match that I was most invested in. Sometimes I like to do this with wrestling. Like I will just deliberately try to somehow in my mind form a personal vendetta against a wrestler. <laughs> and I'm sure that uh, Ricky Knight Jr. is the nicest kid in the world. Um, he's got all the potential in the world. I think he's a wonderful athlete. Uh, he looks like the next Osprey. But for some reason in my mind, I just wanted to talk myself into this guy has kicked my dog. I... <laughs> And it worked. I managed to talk myself into it. I just, any, you know, anything I could think of that was kind of, um, you know, I, I held him, I hold him responsible for the your call bar, the bar line there, the bar queue, how bad it is at Rev Pro shows. And because of that, I just managed to really get behind Leon Slater. And I'm pretty comfortable in saying that Leon Slater is my favorite wrestler of all time now. In the words of Matt Connolly, what an absolute problem. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. So that, was, that was the first time that I've ever seen RKJ wrestle. I've yeah. heard plenty of good things about him from people that have been going to the Red Pro shows, but I literally had no clue in terms of what style he wrestled or his body type or anything like that. Um, I was coming in entirely blind. And when he came out, he had a bit of arrogance about him. He had the kind of a, ch- a chip on his shoulder. And there is a little bit of the Osprey of today from New Japan about him in terms of that kind of arrogance that he holds himself with. But just like Osprey, he can put it off in the ring. So I think, yeah, he is definitely one for the future and potential for possibly winning that title. Yeah, um, I mean, I could see it. The reason that I probably in the past couldn't have seen it is because, you know, we all kind of just assumed that he was one of the Rev Pro guys that would be unlikely to work progress, didn't we? But, um, and we, we have absolutely no behind the scenes knowledge here, dear listener, if you are listening, but it would seem that that is not as pronounced of a barrier as what we thought, Ross. Absolutely, yeah. Do you have a dream opponent for his first round match? Out of the ones announced, or yeah, do you yeah. have a bit or, of a or, yeah, or like uh, <laughs> someone that hasn't been announced, yeah. I'm not sure if it's a dream match necessarily, but I think that we might get um, RKJ versus Robbie X in the first round. That would be fantastic. I did get to see that at your call uh, at a Rev Pro show. Um, and I think it's actually, we mentioned Pete Hitchcock who uh, joined us on Sunday. I think he, he said it's one of his favorite matches he's ever seen live. Um, and I think that was, that would have been a good year ago. I'm, and I'm sure they're both even, you know, even more polished now. The other thing that I just wanted to mention, like, and I we talked a lot about RKJ. I, you and I, I think, you know, after a couple of beers, I said I'd make a little bit of a wager with you, and I have no idea how we're going to uh, measure this or enforce it. But I kind of said, like, who do you think has the more um, successful commercial career, RKJ or Leon Slater? Keeping in mind that Leon Slater is also only seventeen, and I said I think Slater has the opportunity to, you know, be a big, big star on televised wrestling. You said similar about RKJ, which I don't disagree with necessarily. I don't know. Are, are you still happy to stick with that? Uh, just through his contacts, I think he's got a better chance, yeah. Yeah. And I, so anyway, dear listener, what I'm doing is I'm putting a shout out. If you have any idea about how Ross and I in 40 years' time can <laughs> measure, measure a wrestler's commercial success against another wrestler, what, what should we do? Like most pay-per-views wrestled on or something like that? I'll take it. Um, I'll take it. 
yeah. So yeah, so when they have both retired, we'll uh, we'll cash this bet, and I'm sure you and I'll still be mates going to wrestling shows in 40 years. Here's hoping, mate. My last little note on this one was, um, whilst obviously RKJ is in like the cruiserweight part of Rev Pro, is that right? Well, they they do have a cruiserweight title, but he, he kind of. He uh, graduated from that to wrestle Osprey a few times and a few right, for right. the for the okay. world titles. So yeah, because I was about to say like I was expecting kind of more flips and tricks from him, and whilst he did do a bit of that, it was more the pace of and speed of him running those ropes, and then the absolute bastard strikes that he was doing. It absolutely yeah. has me salivating for a potential Luke Jacobs RKJ match. Yeah, he hits hard. He he, he really does. I wait and see how he does when he has someone smacking him back. It'd be, it'd be interesting. But then, oh, you know, Osprey hits hard, doesn't he? So I'm sure, you know, he's he's had his licks. I, I'm sure he's probably wrestled Mark Davis. I'm trying to think of who are the hardest sort of choppers or hitters in, in on the UK Brit Rest scene now. Yeah, see how he stands up to Davis chopping him down. <laughs> and then lastly, we saw what looked like the potential new formation of a new stable, possibly, in progress at the end of this match. You need yeah. to remind me of what happened. Where 0121 Jody Fleisch came out and kind of gave Slater his flowers and told him to get up on the turnbuckle and had everyone chanting Slater's name. Mate, I I missed this. I reckon I must have been in the bathroom. I wasn't just drunk. I, I didn't see that at all. Yeah, so that's like um, and I think Bromit said like this is a stable that I can get behind. Yeah, big time. That yeah, that's cool. That's a cool stable. And for me, I don't see any reason that moving forward, Slater couldn't be the main guy in that stable, you know? Maybe not straight away, but over over the telling of a story, I, I could 100% see be the kingpin. Well, it means that you'll come closer to your bet, so I'm sure that that's the case, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I don't think I've told this story when I went up to the um, to the Deathmatch show up in Hull um, a few weeks ago. I It was the first time I, I saw Slater wrestle, and it, the roof was really low in the building, but not so low. You know, maybe it was like, um, I don't know, it's had a 10-foot clearance from the ring or something like that. And from a standing start, he just jumped up double foot and, like, head-butted the ceiling. And I was like, holy shit. This, yeah, this kid is, is, uh, is an athlete. Yeah, reminds me of myself in my younger days. <laughs> All right, Ross, what's next? Uh, yeah, next up, we had the storyline that is Raven Creed versus Lana Austin, where Lana Austin's currently making friends, I'm assuming, through money and um, trying to, <laughs> trying to um, make sure that Raven Creed doesn't get to her in a match by putting her up against big, strong people. And they don't come much bigger or stronger than Max the Impaler. Bloody hell. This is not hyperbole at all. I was absolutely petrified when Max the Impaler walked past me. They are a scary individual. Yes. Yeah, they um, came out um, in a mask, which made them look even scarier. Um, (laughs) I love the fact that um, Lana Austin was even petrified throughout the whole time, even though she was barking orders at them. Yeah, absolutely. Just a... Absolute um, sight to behold, really. Kind of what wrestling used to be, I guess. That kind of thing where something comes through the curtain and you're just kind of blown away by the like by the visual of it. Yeah, someone that is clearly invested in their character and it's paying off for them. So I expect to see Max booked 
far and wide uh, on the independent scene. You said that uh, they have turned up in Ring of Honor before, which I had seen, but I've never, you know, I, I knew that uh, they were there, but I haven't actually seen them work for Ring of Honor, if that makes sense. Yeah, my knowledge of that was primarily through Pickums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. So thanks for that, Mike. Yeah, so this match was very much Raven Creed trying to get Max off their feet, um, which was failing for the most part. But then we had a nice hope spot and eventually Lana Austin trying to um, intervene for the good backfired and we saw Raven Creed with a bit of a, it was, it was like a um, crucifix pin, I think, wasn't it? Or um, whilst Lana was in the ring trying to help Max, she actually um, was the detriment, which is exactly how it should be. Yep. One step closer to uh, the match that we're waiting for. What an absolute treasure is Lana Austin. Yes, definitely hand him a flowers to Lana Austin. Um, someone who I didn't really care for too much in a wrestling capacity four or five months ago. And now she's talked herself into me being very, very excited every time that I see her name on, like, on the card. She's so entertaining. At the Dome, she stole someone's replica European belt and was wearing it for the entire time that she was on the outside. Here, she was just interacting with the crowd in, in a hilarious way. And then at the end of the match, when Max was annoyed that they'd lost the match because of Lana, Lana was hidden behind someone in the front row. <laughs> I, so I I had a little story, actually, from the Dome as well, uh, when Lana was there. I Just at one point, I happened to be standing next to her at the bar in the Dome. Uh, maybe it was after the show or later on in the show. And I, I actually, I didn't talk to her because, like, I don't know, I just didn't want to bother or whatever. And I just, I don't know, sometimes you just can't be bothered. But I kind of overheard her conversation with the barman and I, I laughed out loud three times, like, at their conversation. <laughs> like, she is just, even just naturally, like, she, it's not a character. She's genuinely a hilarious person. I look forward to seeing what she does next. Yeah, she's a brilliant, a brilliant heel to the point where, it's almost Jericho-esque at the moment in WWE where it's going to end up being cheered at some point, right? Because... Um, if not already. Yeah, like yeah. charisma yeah. just seeping through the room. Yeah, and it doesn't bother me. Some I know some people get annoyed at that, like our oh, heels shouldn't be likable. I think in cert certain situations, well, maybe that is not a heel then. You know, why does everything have to be the old rules? Maybe she's just a baby face, you know, who acts like a heel. That That's okay as well. Absolutely. Next up, wow, did we get a, just, in terms of building matches, progress at the ballroom, there's something special about the kind of one or two chapters before a big show, and they've got the one big storyline that they kind of hang their hat on for that big show, or weekend, like it will be for three weeks' time. And Cara Noir versus Spike Javier, I know that I've raved about this a few times on this podcast. This storyline is so good. I'm enjoying it so much, and... The way that this played out on Sunday, I'm even more hyped for something that I knew that I would be anyway. But yeah, these two, wow, just two brilliant performers at what they do. Very, very different, but they just work so well in my view. Yeah, it's a story of two guys with a similar background coming into the same industry, um, similar paths, work for similar companies. They seem to have been hitched to each other the whole way through but completely different characters and reactions from the crowd. So it, it works beautifully um, almost in that, you know, uh, I don't know, I guess it's the hacky one to mention, but the old Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn type of story. 
So I don't have too many memories of the match itself, Ross, but all of my memories were of the post-match. Yes. So, well, firstly, we saw a video package pre-match where backstage, Mike Gervais was saying how excited he was to be in the main event at the ballroom. And he was informed that he wouldn't be in the main event um, at the request of Car Renoir because Car Renoir said that he doesn't feel that Spike Gervais is worthy of a progress main event. So that added a bit of needle to what was already a, a fantastic feud. Yeah, then we had Car Renoir's music hit second and Spike Gervais waiting for him in the ring. Car Renoir came out the backside of the ballroom so that everyone was getting really excited in that kind of hushed way where quietly, quietly, everyone was starting to realize what was happening and you get that hushed kind of excitement in the air. And brilliantly, this whole feud has been based upon each of them trying to get in each other's heads and Spike Gervais knowing that Noir was, in his eyes, taking the like low route by attacking him from behind. He just had a smirk on his face. And he knows that he's already won something that he's mentioned in the promos previously. I absolutely love it. And I think it's something that's going to run through this whole uh, narrative in the Super Strong match as well, where Spike Tavay comes across almost like a cockroach. Like no matter how bad you beat him, no matter how many times you slag him off, he just seems to smirk and laugh about it. And there's just like, he's just that annoying cockroach that you can't get rid of. And then we got the match itself that, as you say, Dom, there wasn't a huge amount to it. It was a bit of a brawl, mostly outside the ring. And we then got to the quite interesting bit. I was saying how Cara Noir is almost having to stoop to Spike's level because he's making him stoop to that level um, with, with like his mind games. And we saw Cara Noir throw the referee out. We saw Cara Noir kind of not break a hold after a count of five, things that he would never do previously in the Cara Noir character. So there was advancement in the storyline and the angle but as a match it wasn't the reason for this happening the reason that this was happening was for the post-match which as you mentioned Dom was amazing yeah so it, it all broke down I think uh was it two referees got taken out or was it three yeah and then security came in the ring the ring crew one of them just got one of the most brutal shotgun drop kicks you'll ever see and then Cara Noir with the big dive over the, not just over the top rope, but the uh, Tope Con Hero over the ring post. So I uh, flew into the crowd, just incredible stuff. Like, yeah, shades of uh, ELP, I guess you'd say, over the ring post. Yep. Um, or, or Kid Cash, if you want to go further back. <laughs> kid, yep, Kid Cash back in the day, yeah. Yeah, fuck, he was an underrated fly, Kid Cash, wasn't he? He was. Um, the big Rana bomb off the top was very, very impressive. And then probably for me, the most interesting part of the story was when uh, Cara Noir's uh, partner or wife, I, I believe it was said that she was his wife. <laughs> Funnily, I think Spike Gervais called her Cara Noir's gander, which um, I think a gander is a male goose, right? So, like, you know, like the wrong species and the wrong gender. But <laughs> I'm not, I, don't, I don't know what the term is for a male swan. I think a child is a cygnet, right? Uh, but I don't know. I think maybe it's just a swan. Uh, text in, please, dear listener. <laughs> but my favourite part, like this is what I I kind of saw really clearly because a lot of the rest of the story was on the floor, but in the ring, uh, Cara Noir's wife is saying, um, you know, don't do it, Tom. Don't do it. Don't accept this challenge for 
an I quit match, which is going to be to quit progress forever, lose the leaves town style. Don't do it. Don't accept. And Karanoir, he doesn't speak, but he does nod his head and his wife pretty much says, oh, for fuck's sake, and turns her back and storms off out of the building, which I just, I, I really enjoyed the storytelling there. Ross, I know you're going to talk about the significance of, of again, Karanoir not speaking. Yeah, so obviously, if it is the case that Karanoir is run out of town by Spike Trevay, and he has to do so by breaking character and saying, I quit, this whole thing has been, has been based around Spike Trevay saying he's going to unveil the true Tom Dawkins, and you'll see just what he truly is. Like the layered storytelling to it, I think is amazing. Um, whether that's the case or not, whether it's Spike or Caranoir, I'm not sure, which is quite exciting because I guess the obvious choice is for Caranoir because he's already had his two-year reign as champion. He's kind of done it done it all in progress, whereas Spike Gervais still got plenty more in him, storyline-wise, I guess. But there's still that element of doubt as to the end of the match for me which which really excites me and i just think it's similar to havoc v osprey the british strong style versus haskin stuff when progress do long-term storytelling that normally pays off and here it massively has yeah i assume that this this might be like a main event of night two of strong style do you think like in the in the same way that you know trent seven versus walter main event at night two was that the last one yeah, so yeah. I was having a conversation with Mike about this because Mike's not able to make night one and he was hoping that night one is just the eight tournament matches and that's it. Normally it is, I think. But they've kind of got three main events now, haven't they? They've got, well, four main events, really. They've got Kanji versus Giselle Shaw, two out of three falls for the women's title. They've got yeah. Karanoir versus Spike Trevay, I Quit, Lose Leaves Town. They've got a three-way ladder match for the tag team titles and the final of the tournament itself. So that's a lot yeah. to like squeeze in, isn't it? Yeah. So if they just go yeah. with the eight matches on day one, I feel like they're missing a trick, really. Yeah. But for Mike's sake, I hope it is just eight tournament matches. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it'd be interesting to see. I guess like you can fit a lot more in on, on the last day than what you think because it's just the two semifinals and the finals. So theory, yeah. in theory, you're going to have to have another four matches. But normally that gets filled up by like, you know, fun, silly stuff with the um, yeah. with the people that have been knocked out of the tournament so far. You know, you get people, you know, working their hungover shit, which is always yeah. good fun. Which is actually what you need when you're having kind of serious match after serious match, in my opinion. Yeah. And we've seen some great stuff over the years with like, um, you know, DJ Z and Cameron Grimes and people like that doing like hilarious stuff on the third day. And then of course and we had the, we had, we had the rumble that year with uh, Chris Roberts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Brilliant cool. stuff. And the, and the invisible man and all that. Talking of people who have really fun day three, things on on super strong style next up was last week's guest roy johnson back in the ballroom yep mate all i've got to say is what about the rig on it he's in he, incredible shape isn't he incredible i i see that he's training for like an actual bodybuilding competition like uh you know like a fitness uh comp but oh my goodness i like this guy's in the words of jerry lawler this guy's got muscles in places i don't even have places <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So he mentioned on his podcast with us last week um, how he saw this match as his opportunity to prove his wrestling chops. 
And boy, did he prove it, in my opinion. Yeah. Solid wrestling. Um, the lads, as always, in a Luke Jacobs match, the lads beat the shit out of each other, which I enjoyed. But, like, honestly, I just couldn't take my eyes off the rig. <laughs> like, just... <laughs> the, mate, the fucking traps on him. <laughs> yeah, just incredible. The, the um, amount of work that must have gone into creating that body. Wow. Fair play, mate. Yeah. No love for my uh, chicken, no gravy chant, though. Oh, mate. We were behind yeah. it. We were behind yeah. it. <laughs> so this match started off hot with an insane throw into the chairs for Johnson. And then there was a one that was right by us, Dom, where Johnson was up against a post and Jacobs ran at him. And then he gave him the bounce, similar to the Keith Lee and Adam Cole. But with two beefy guys, um, yeah. it was pretty spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the bounce, not to be confused with the pounce. Uh, <laughs> the bounce was what TNA fans used to do when uh, Michael Shane came to the ring, wasn't it? <laughs> it was the a throwback to Michael Shane. The Bentley bounce. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure I didn't. I, I think I've got the same guy. I think Michael Shane changed his name to Matt Bentley in TNA there for a while. And they used to do the, and it was like the Bentley bounce. And like when he came to the ring, they, everyone they'd just be like jumping up and down, like like um, oh, who does Man City do it? And they turn their back. Oh, the pos- jump man, up. Yeah. yeah, the pos- yeah. Man, yeah, 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 like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this match was the shortest match on on the card, apart from the secondary main event. And I guess it could that it's quite an interesting one for me because it was a first title defense for. Luke Jacobs, and he didn't really look in too much trouble throughout the match. I can't think of a time that he kind of kicked out at 2.9 or anything like that. Um, he was pretty much in control. And the one thing that I didn't really like, and I guess it kind of it kind of plays into the Northwest Strong's mentality, but I didn't like it in terms of, like, they built him up as, like, a bit of a baby face, but maybe it's just, like, Atlas has got no kind of place for, for like, white meat baby face. It's all about smash mouth. But like the way that he kind of treated Roy Johnson a bit like Shawn Michaels with Bret Hart, where he was like, get that piece of trash out the ring. He's not competition. I get that he's in character and that he's pumped up and that he's just like a badass and he's always going to demand more. But I just felt like he's a 21 year old kid that's kind of taking a piss there at a Roy. And I just felt like, oh, unless this, this is played off in Roy's like future matches, I just felt that was a bit disrespectful. Yeah, I think that Northwest Strong often get a bit more of a negative response at the ballroom. I, I think there's a bit of a geographical thing, and I think the ballroom hasn't always taken to them as much as what you might think, Ross. I don't know. I, when I look at Jacobs, I see, I, I think he's clearly very much influenced by the American Dragon. And I, I think that Jacobs is, that's sort of what he's going for there. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think he sees himself as, nah, I, I want people to believe that I am, I'm not a bad guy, but I am what Jim Ross might call a wrestling heel. So I don't have to cheat, but I can just be a mean, nasty wrestler. Yeah, I can, the, you know, yeah the whole like Stan Hansen, Dr. Death vibe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, I guess that sometimes that just carries over after the match, you know. But I, like yeah. my, I thought I thought the whole story was Jacobs handling pretty comfortably. Yeah, yeah. Like I thought that was the whole story. I I thought there was just to, like really build Jacobs up very strong. And I, in that sense, I I thought Roy Johnson did an incredible job. Yeah, and yeah. afterwards, Axel Tisha comes out and um, challenges 
him to a match at Strong Style, which will be a lot of fun. We, we actually jumped in front there. Um, previous to that was the WXW qualifying match for Super Strong Style between Maggots, Axel Tischer, Bobby Guns, and Jörn Simmons. Yeah. The main takeaway from me was how much everyone in the ballroom looked at Jörn Simmons the way that I looked at Roy Johnson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> people people were really, really impressed by seeing uh, just, like, people love big guys, eh? Yeah. Like, people just love big big guys. Like, it is interesting. Whereas I think, I don't, this is not me being a prick, but I think I'm just like, I don't know, it doesn't impress me as much. I was because, like, you know, I'm big. And I was just sort of like, hey, he's not that big, is he? I don't know. I didn't think. But anyway, um, fuck, he's strong. He he did this cool thing, didn't he? And I don't, you know me, I don't want to talk about like every move that happened, but there was one point when he sort of did like a double lift gimmick. Yeah. Um, I think he he had like someone on his shoulders and then did like a German suplex whilst doing a Samoan drop at the same time or a full away slam at the same time or something like that. Yeah, it's probably and, mad. Uh, yeah, pretty insane. And he, I mean, it was funny for me, Ross, because like it coming into the match, I really have a big soft spot for Bobby Guns because he won me a shot round in the dome and he just blew me away and the music and the chant and everything like that. But coming out of that match, I was sort of like, oh, well, Bobby in a lot of ways was probably the least impressive out of the four in that particular match. Yeah, for me, it was very much kind of put Maggot out there first with that music that he's got that gets everyone behind him. Yeah. He's That's an absolute fucking jam. That yeah. is really cool. I'll tell you what it's like, and I'll uh, maybe I'll censor the, a couple of names here because neither of them are worthy of wrestling should be fun, but it reminds me of um, that Four Rusted Horses that was used by a, a person whose name I won't mention, by an artist who I won't mention either, um, in uh, OTT in Dublin, his entrance music. It reminded me of that song. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm sure that people who know know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, so um, he came out with that kind of 2020 Cameron Grimes charisma, that kind of like dirty dog. He was just amazing. Then the match started itself and Maggot kind of played that kind of, I'm in here with three bigger guys, but I'm going to try and do my thing, which which made him more and more lovable. Jörn Simmons was, it, like, for me, this was a bit of a Jörn Simmons showpiece. I don't know who who produced the match, but... Jörn Simmons got so many spots in this match where it was just, yeah, let's just show how strong Jörn is and people will go absolutely mental. Axel Tischer had some nice technical pieces, um, especially when it was like broke down and it, and it was one-on-one with someone. And you're absolutely right. And Bobby Guns probably didn't get too much to shine in this match, which is a bit of a shame, but I guess he wasn't going through. So it makes sense for people that maybe might not know any of these four wrestlers from WXW to put over the ones that they're going to see on that show, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see him back. All very much impressed. You know, I've noticed about the German wrestlers in the WXW, there seem to be a lot of characters that are kind of like, almost like the Raven slacker in the way that Maggot is. I'm like, there's a lot of guys who are coming off this idea of like a bit of a dirty, gross man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dirty, gross man. Yeah. Well, I, I do feel like there's a lot of those gimmicks in WXW. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just sort of, I, I'm like, oh, another one of those. But Maggot really did stand out. I thought, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah great match. Great. great. Just great. Just great fun. I'm looking forward to seeing him in strong stuff. And then we had what surely was the match of the night. 
Smoking Aces and Sunshine Machine. These boys have wrestled each other seemingly every day for the past two years. <laughs> bloody hell does it show because they've got amazing chemistry, haven't they? Yeah, I just think it's more than that. I think to say that they've got amazing chemistry would be to underplay it. I think these are just four of the best wrestlers in the country. Yeah. <laughs> and I, look, people like different types of wrestling, right? Maybe, maybe there's some people guffawing at their headphones right now saying, oh, these boys are bloody spots and flips. Mate, I don't care. It's fucking great fun when you're having a beer and in a crowd. And especially when two of the guys are, you know, kind of your pseudo mates. It just, bloody hell, I loved it. I love everything about the Sunshine Machine. I really am just growing more and more in respect for the Smoking Aces with each passing month. I just, I wish, uh, it, it's so corny, but I wish that they would fight every month. And you know <laughs> what, Ross, we, I think we've said this before, but about like, as you get older, you think you sort of get less and less excited about gimmick matches, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. But when I hear those words, ladder match, there's still a 13 or 14 year old kid inside me that just gets bloody excited. And I don't know why. And progress have always put on great ladder matches. You know, some of my favorite progress matches have been ladder matches, whether it's Eddie Dennis and Mark Andrews at Wembley or um, the tag match in the ballroom with the Aussies and uh, the Essex boys. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I really just cannot wait for that one. It's the match I'm looking forward to the most at Super Strong Style so far. Yes, definitely. I'm just like really hoping that they manage to buy some decent ladders because that's the only thing with Brit Rest, isn't it? That our hardware in Britain seems to be not gimmicked. <laughs> the the new management, I'm sure, will make sure of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're yeah. Kind of clued in with TNT, right? So I'm sure that they've had all this sort of thing previously. <laughs> yeah, I think. It's the sort of thing that I think the new management would, uh, like you say, maybe have some expertise in. Yeah. And in terms of the match itself, super interesting that they actually played on this in the post-match interview, but like promo, where the Sunshine Machine are obviously faces and massive faces in the ballroom. They're kind of seen as our guys when it comes to the electric ballroom, the kind of wrestlers that have been wrestling for progress for so, so long. Two of the few ones that have made the, the leap from kind of progress 1.0 to 2.0. And then Smoke and Aces, who are also a face group, but up against the Sunshine Machine, very, very little fanfare for them in this match. But that's largely because Sunshine Machine is so loved. But what I do love about the Smoke and Aces, and in particular Charlie Sterling, when he notices that, you know, the crowd is against him, he doesn't kind of fight it. He just goes so intense. Yeah, yeah. You can just see that veterans, these boys. They know what they're doing. And then in terms of the match itself, we went to a 20-minute time limit draw, which didn't feel like 20 minutes when you were watching it because, as you say, Dom, all the flips, all the tricks. The one spot in particular where TK kind of did like a leaping frog over one wrestler and into a destroyer was absolutely unreal. And then it got a 2.9 kick out from Riley. Riley sold it unreal as well. Just, yeah, so, yeah. Like, some of the things that they were doing in the match, unreal. Finished with just, a double pin to the disappointment of the crowds. And then they kind of demanded five more minutes um, to get a definitive winner. And even then, we I couldn't find it. Um, so 0121 came out and basically told them that they'd both earned their respect and both earned their title shot. So we we're going to get a three-way ladder match. Yeah. Yeah, just you couldn't go through the spots. Um, my main memories are, you know, TK Cooper now just like pulling out that shooting star press from anywhere he can. 
um, <laughs> like off the apron now, like Paul London used to do it. Like he, he did it, I think, and got caught in a diamond cutter at one point, didn't he? I think that happened. Yeah. yeah. Like just, yeah, just, just silly, silly stuff. But like fair play, lads, you're just absolutely killing it. I can't say anymore. And in the post-match promo as well that I touched on earlier, Tika Cooper said, no matter if you're in Bristol, Birmingham or London, these three teams are putting tag team wrestling back on the map when it's the reason that people are buying tickets and he's not wrong. Yeah. And of course, I just thought of the monorail. I've sold monorails to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook, and by government put them on the map. <laughs> um, I did ask Brum for his takes, and his was, for this match in particular, an outstanding bell-to-bell match. And the post-match with the tag guys felt red hot as they built to the ladder match, and the announcement got a massive pop, which is all true. Yeah. So was that main event time then, Ross? Uh, yes, went to main event time. Money against Jonathan Gresham. Gresham um, had the title, but it was a non-title match. And Gene Money, if he won, would go through to Super Strong Style. Yep. But then the rules of the match did change, though. Was it before it started where it was announced that if Jonathan Gresham were to get disqualified, he would be stripped of the Progress Wrestling Championship? Correct, yeah, because all three attacked Gene Money pre-match. Um, with the bell ringing, the ring announcer trying to stop the uh, beatdown. And there was an amazing bit of Hildum from Jonathan Gresham, who was asking fans to hand him their beers and then he would just throw them in the bin. Yeah, a bit like I remember my friend Brad used to do that because he hates people that smoke cigarettes so much. He'd often ask someone to bum a cigarette and then break it in half in front of their face. Um, <laughs> it's a surprise that no one ever broke his face, to be honest. <laughs> Certainly cigarette. A- Fucking expensive. I don't smoke either, but bloody hell, I, you know, if someone did that to half a pint in front of me, I like, Gresham would have been in danger if he did that to me. <laughs> Stepped on him I, like an I'm under no illusions. Like, Gresham would break my arm, obviously. But, you know, don't be <laughs> don't be messing around with my pint, lad. <laughs> I did <laughs> um, like your uh, comment on Instagram that, um, that uh, CCK are a stable where their uh, tallest wrestler is five foot eight. Yeah, I... I felt a bit bad about that after. That was a bit of the beer talking. Like, I don't care how tall people are. They're all tougher than me. I'm six foot six and the world's biggest cat. So, yeah, <laughs> um, they're, they're all way tougher than me. But, yeah, they, when, when Lycos is your tallest member of the stable, you know, it is, it is uh, interesting. So I like the storytelling in the match, Ross, uh, just really quickly. Like, so I know a lot of people, I think, maybe were a bit negative about the way the match ended, but I think that... I, I thought it held up okay just because of the little teasers they gave through the match. So there was this idea that if Gresham got disqualified, he'd lose the title. So every time the referee's back was turned, Lycos Jim were trying to like throw him weapons and trying to encourage him to cheat. And Gresham kept saying, no, 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 I can't get disqualified. And it just sort of, it looked like, oh, um, this is just because Lycos Jim um, think the referee's back is turned. But then the ending of the match is you realise that actually Lycos Jim want Gresham to get disqualified because they want him to lose the title. And um, the ending was pretty much Lycos Jim jumped on Gene Money. Uh, so Gresham's disqualified, he loses the title. Gene Money qualifies for Super Strong Style 16. And now Lycos and Gresham 
um, have a bust up. And Lycos gets on the microphone and he says that it was our plan all along um, because we know that I couldn't beat you for the title, but I could beat anybody else. So um, that's, you know, I, I thought, you know, obviously some people don't like um, dusty finishes or whatever and people are saying, oh, this is like the Revro booking with, you know, Andy Quilden and Will Ospreay and that wrestler that I mentioned before whose name I won't say. But I thought it was okay. I mean, it doesn't bother me. If, you know, you, I'd rather someone try to tell a different story than just, you know, do the same thing over and over again. It, as long as there's evidence of trying to tell a story and things kind of make sense, I don't mind it. I don't think that anyone in the ballroom would enjoy every main event having that amount of cluster. I certainly don't mind it when, you know, they're trying to tell a story, as you say. The reason that they had to get there is just conjecture at this point, but I'm assuming Gresham's not going to be around as much in the next few months because he's obviously um, technically AEW at the moment now, right? Now that they've got Ring of Honor as well. Um, Yeah, I don't even pretend to know what's going on with that contract situation. And obviously um, there was the slight issue with Network not being able to show some of the matches that he's been on as well. Like, so it makes sense. And then also you've got now the excitement of, I'm like, it hasn't been made official yet, but surely the Super Strong Style 16 tournament is now going to be for the Progress title, which adds an even more exciting element to it. Yeah. Hasn't been announced as of yet, but you are assuming that that's going to be the case. Yes. Also, just to mention as well that um, at the end, after Lycos claimed that the reason that uh, he did what he did was to get hold of the title, that he's been in progress too long and kind of like not succeeded as well as he should, as he should have done. G Money basically screamed at them and said, not like that. I've worked too hard to try and earn my way into Super Strong Style for the last two years. I wanted to do it by beating the best in the world. And I have, but I didn't win it in the way that I wanted to win it. So he'll take both of them on. And he pretty much squashes Lycos in, I think it was like one minute and a half. So that's quite interesting because Lycos coming across like he's a, a legit contender and then losing the match in one minute. I'm not sure that particularly makes sense, but they did put themselves into a bit of a, a booking hole, but it was what it was. Gene Money earned it rather than being handed it, which is the most important thing, I think, at this point. You can be a legit contender and even win a title, but never win a legitimate match. Have a look at like the WWE runs of like the Miz when he was the champion for the first time. Every yeah. he was never seen as a legitimate athlete. He won every single match of his run by cheating, right? Yeah. So even like the main event of, or whatever it was, the second main event at WrestleMania, like, I think he beat Cena by cheating. So like, I think I, I don't have a problem with it. Like you know, and he can just come out next show and be like, I wasn't prepared for Gene Money, blah blah blah, or you know whatever. Yeah, I mean, next show strong style, so that's different. But you know what I mean. So, also, just to touch on like the theory behind the main event, I, I want, I do kind of want to uh, get the book of bingo because we've spoken for a long time. But the other thing is, like, if you're complaining about the finish being too dusty or whatever, like, mate, there's whatever I don't know how many matches are on the card. Maybe there's seven matches on the card, and in that you had like a ridiculous like spot filled four way. You had a tag title match that went to like it wasn't a time limit draw, but like a draw because and that couldn't separate the two maybe best tag teams in the country. Then you had like two of the best cruiserweight style workers opening the show pretty much. You had two great women's matches. One of them was a tables match. Like how much fucking wrestling do you need on a show? Like let let us have a crazy ECW attitude era main event. You know, if you're complaining about that, fucking have a day off. (laughs) There was so much good wrestling, you know? Yeah. Matt also noted that the card itself was amazing, but his one slight take on it was 
that is judgment of any narrative is to step into the character's shoes and ask, does this ring true? Kid Lycos's justification for betraying Gresham doesn't quite pass that test for me. But for the record, it didn't leave any sour taste in my mouth as the reason for the finish was understandable and the show was incredible. Just a point worth making. Yeah, but I can see that as well. Like, so he's saying that he doesn't, it doesn't make sense to him that Lycos wants Gresham to lose the title because it's going to be easier to beat someone else. Yeah. But also people are flawed and make mistakes. I don't think Lycos is seen as a genius either. <laughs> you know, like, like wrestling characters also can just fuck up and make mistakes. Right. And uh, I think, you know, Lycos may have. One little note as well from the promo that Lycos did was that he mentioned Chris Brooks. Do you think he's going to be added to the Super Strong Style? Um, maybe. How many slots are left? Five, I think. I'd have a look at it if he was. I, I'm not going to turn my nose up at Chris Brooks. I, in the last year of Chris Brooks's run, I really became a big fan of his. It took me about five years to warm up to the guy, but in his last maybe year or six months, really, really enjoyed his work. Uh, it would be great from my perspective to see him come back. A very accomplished wrestler who can do it all, really. Um, I think when I really started to warm to him was some of those attack shows at the Dome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's where I saw his best work, more so than progress. But yeah, I mean, in the words of the great cricketer, I'd have a look at it. <laughs> and lastly, from who has been announced, do you have a final in mind? Uh, no. <laughs> you have really put me on the spot, Ross. Uh, I haven't really thought about it. Um, uh, I'm thinking that it's going to be a Warren Banks Gene Money final. Uh, yep, I could see it. Um, and those... Yeah, and there's a whole story there. Gene Money helped train Warren Banks. Yeah. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yep, I could see it. Mate, I'm really going to withhold judgment. And I know we're going to do a strong style uh, oh, yeah. oh, prediction show. I just, the way it is at the moment, I just don't really have any, I can't, to be honest, I can't even remember who's in it. I can't remember the 11 names. Um, but what you just said sounds completely logical to me. And I could definitely see Gene winning the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's probably the favourite, I, w- I would argue, yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited. I just say I'm very excited to see who the last few names are. I have a couple of ideas, but, yeah, we'll wait and see who gets announced in uh, coming days. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually completely forgot until recently that it that uh, Swerve's still part of it. Yeah, which is really exciting. Must be, uh, Like Jonah's coming back, is that right? Uh, no, I don't think Jonah. Oh, no, it's, it's, uh, RSP. RSP's RSP. coming Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Shall we end on a book of bingo? Yeah, mate. We can do a quick book of bingo if you like. B-I-N-G-O and bingo was his name-o. Okay. The spreadsheet is up. And the match is... <laughs> okay, mate. <laughs> this doesn't sound good. <laughs> How much do you love 1995 WWF? <laughs> uh, little. Okay, so good luck with this then. Are you aware of Men on a Mission? Yeah, but it's Viscero, isn't it? And, and Mo. Yeah, so you've got Mo. Right. <laughs> and you've got... One of the greatest characters in all of wrestling, Marty Janetti. <laughs> um, 
you've got a whole host of uh, possibilities with, with uh, Marty, to be honest. <laughs> Well, what I'm going on is we've got a tag team feud going on between Men on the Mission and the Rockers. Yep. And, uh, you know, halfway through, we're sort of like the um, Viscera and Shawn Michaels are just sort of, these two aren't really on our uh, level, are they? I'm going to go on to be, we're both going to be kings of the ring. Obviously, <laughs> Marty Gennetti and Mo, <laughs> Sir Mo. <laughs> Becoming King of the Ring, so they sort of just ditch them and go off and have a, an actual feud. The Viscera versus Shawn Michaels feud that we all wanted and never got, I don't think. <laughs> um, so that leaves Mo and uh, Marty Gennetti to their own devices. And uh, they're sort of quite in- involved in their uh, in the feud as well. They don't want to give it up because the basically whoever loses this feud is the loser of the four four of them in a group. Of the world, <laughs> and um, my, yeah, <laughs> and uh, Mo and Marty Gennetti, they continue to have a feud. It's on uh, what was the equivalent of Velocity in 1995, Ross? Um, I think it was called Mania. Okay, so yeah, then Viscera and Shawn Michaels were on Raw, and Mo and Marty Gennetti are feuding on Mania, and the winner. And the feud will get a move up to the equivalent of Sunday Night Heat. <laughs> Superstars. Superstars, yeah. There we go. <laughs> in real, in reality, Moe's won the feud. Uh, he wins the match. He does well. He gets up to uh, gets up to Superstars and then eventually runs out his career, having a lovely time. But in 2019, Marty Gennetti told everyone that he actually murdered him. And... Uh, <laughs> And he's buried him somewhere in his back garden because he's slightly delusional. And so the history books have been rewritten by 2019 Conspiracy Marginetti. <laughs> okay, so it ended in a buried... Um... Well, that's what that's what Marginetti told us in 2019. <laughs> so, in 1995, you know, who knows what happened? Only Mo and Marginetti. And you were probably watching that. <laughs> it's like the lost tapes of that great art man. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be a documentary on it next year. <laughs> oh, we didn't mention the dark side of the ring part of the Wardlow. That was bloody brilliant. Let's <laughs> get out of there. All right, mate. Well, I'll um, I'll make sure that I put that up against Dom and let Dom know that he's got, I don't know, Sensational Sherry versus Booker T or something. <laughs> yeah, I'll get text him to him just to give him a heads up. <laughs> We've just heard James's version of the match. I'm pretty sure that he told you what the match was. Uh, yeah, he did, but I've forgotten. <laughs> oh, that's annoying because it was going to be a real funny joke that it was going to be a different match. All <laughs> oh, right. Do you want me to try to remember what it was? Uh, a few moments later. No, nah, I, I can't. I think he told you it was like Seamus against Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I. Mate, honestly, he messaged. I've just completely stood on the punchline, but he just messaged me, and I just messaged back. I'm like, mate, I don't care. <laughs> and I was almost like a bit annoyed at him. I was like, why did you tell me? I was like, do you, do you not understand how like the show works? So the idea was that you were going to take 24 hours to come up with with a brilliant idea on 
uh, Sheamus against Honky Tonk Man, and then I'd be like, "So he's told you what what the match was? It's it's Mo against Marty Janetti." <laughs> so, is that actually what you want me to do? Yeah, <laughs> Mo from Men on a Mission. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> um. Uh, I'm having trouble thinking of nice stories about Marty Janetti. All I can think <laughs> of is murder and uh, fucking hell. Fuck yeah, now. It's 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 like it's I've got fucking nothing. Okay, righto. Let's go with this. It is. I think uh, you're going to be able to help me out here because this is your era. I think it's 1995. King Mabel has just won the King of the Ring. Am I correct? Correct. Correct. All right. King of the Ring 1995. King Mabel has just won the King of the Ring. And as always, we're making this up as we go along. Um, King Mabel is being wrapped to the ring for his championship match against, let's just say that HBK, Shawn Michaels was the champion, even though I don't think he was. I think uh, Michaels only won in the 96, right? So that's completely fucking yeah, I think time it was on. Diesel at the time, maybe? Yeah, it would have been Diesel. So, D- yeah, okay. All right, yeah. I'm in my... Yeah, okay, we can do it with Diesel. King Mabel versus Diesel uh, championship match. Moe is wrapping them to the ring. And in Diesel's corner, uh, good friends, better enemies, or Ring of Honor called it better friends, stiffer enemies. Um, Shawn Michaels is over in the corner. Uh, now I've got to figure out a way to get Marty Jannetty there. Uh, I'll think of that as we go along. So um, Diesel manages to win the match against Mabel. Like that's like true to canon. But uh, after the match, Shawn Michaels is like trying to get ready to turn his back on Diesel. Maybe um, he's going to do a swerve. He, lined, he lo- loads up the boot, stomp, stomp, stomp. Diesel hasn't got his whereabouts to duck, duck, goose, motherfucker. He turns around, but just as it's happening, sidesteps out of the way, and Shawn Michaels absolutely cleans the clock of Mo, little Mo. Um, it's almost like the old sweet shin music, just to get the get the foot up to, to him, you know, five foot two. <laughs> and it fit in well in CCK. <laughs> and so at that point, like, everyone's worried about Moe's, like, uh, well-being. Agents are running out from the back to check on him. Michaels is clearly distraught. Yeah, it uh, you know, it makes perfect sense that even though he was probably going to turn heel on his friend Diesel, he, um, he, he's now still babyface from, like, kicking Moe's uh, teeth out of his mouth. And agents come down. One of those agents is Marty Janetti. Sean, what have you done? What have you done? This is worse than when you threw me through that pane of glass in the barbershop. And so uh, Marty and Sean are having a little bit of a shoving match. Um, But Sean shoves Marty and Marty just turns around and absolutely knees Moe right in the face as he's starting to stagger back to his feet. Um, Sean and Marty, with a little handshake, properly turn heel and Marty is going to be uh, uh, Sean's champion because Sean's on the microphone. He's like, Mo, I didn't mean to kick you, but there's no fucking way I'm belittling myself to wrestle you. You can wrestle my um, my sidekick, my number two, my Robin two, my Batman, Marty Janetti. 
So um, here we have uh, rocker Marty Janetti versus rapper Mo at the next pay-per-view, which is, I don't know, Clash at the Castle or something. <laughs> um, and uh, I, uh, so I don't know, how can we make it? Let's, we, let's make it a, um, what could we do? Something on a pole, I think. Let's make it a, a microphone on a, on a pole match. Um, so... <laughs> So uh, everyone knows that Mo's secret weapon is the microphone, and um, if he can hit the patented mic drop on Marty Janetti, um, you know everyone thinks he might just have a chance of going over the former rocker. But uh, it's not a mic drop at the end; it's a rocker dropper instead. Marty Janetti hits the rocker dropper off the top rope next to the pole. Halfway down, he grabs the microphone and he makes some sort of probably you know i don't know xenophobic rap lyric just as he puts his foot on mo to pin him one two three beautiful well okay. i can tell you right now that um that was new japan main event compared to james's and, okay. and james does, does james know who mo was <laughs> kind of no i'm not making fun of him but like i know james didn't wasn't really a wrestling fan until like 1999 i think yeah he was aware but he wasn't a fan of the match that he was handed so he ended up with um uh, Mo being murdered by Mike Janay. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'm glad I didn't go down that route. <laughs> we don't need a double murder. <laughs> All right. So All right, I think without doubt the winner of this week is Dom for Booker Bingo, breaking the streak of JCH. So he's gonna be fuming. Sorry, James. Oh, well, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure, dear listener. I'm actually on a bit of a streak now. I know I have a few weeks off in between, but I think I I think I won last time I was on as well. So, um, yeah, not not bad. I only had 24 hours to prepare. You should have heard <laughs> what I had lined up for Seamus versus Honky Tom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's about it for us for this week, dear listener. Episode 54 in the can. Thank you very much to Phil Stopford, who makes this sound all good for your ears, looking after your eardrums. Thank you very much to my guest, but also the boss, the guy who organises this, Ross the Boss Casey. Don't forget to hit us up, rate, review, subscribe, get us on social media. But, of course, as always, thank you most of all to you, dear listener. We'll catch you next week. Until then, though, drink lots of water. Look after you, mates. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. <laughs>